Hi, everybody. I'm Peter Travers, and this is Popcorn, where we tell you what's happening at the movies. And I've got to say about the movie Moonlight, there are some movies that are good, some that are excellent, and some that transcend that and just become something that goes to me in the movie time capsule, that you just keep it forever. So I don't say that to intimidate my guest today just because he directed and wrote it, but I just want to say at the start of it, this was an amazing, incredible film. So, Barry Jenkins, thank you very congratulations much. Congratulations to you. Thank you, man. Much appreciated. All right, then we're done. Yeah. Okay. You want some more popcorn? Here the popcorn's really good, man. Well, let me start before we get into the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not only a great movie, but a movie that has been reviewed rapturously. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been at festivals with it, and people are loving it. What does that do to you? What's uh, that duty? You know, not much. You know, I, I went through this process once before at a much lower level. Medicine for melancholy. With medicine yes. for melancholy, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I became aware of what it can be like when you read your own press. Uh, I'll just say. And so with this film, you know, I made a point of about a week before our premiere at Telluride, I kind of sat down with myself. Did you say? I look at look in the mirror. <laughs> That's it. And, yeah. uh, and I decided, you know, what I felt the movie was, you know, the quality of it, the work we had done. And the result was that I was very proud uh, of the film, and I kind of just stay in that place, um, which is great because you know the reaction has been you know overwhelmingly positive, in a way that would overwhelm me had I not already decided for myself you know how I felt about the film. But before I go on asking all of these mm -hmm. questions, I'm curious about: mm -hmm. Can you set up a little bit for everybody? What is it from your point of view? Mm -hmm. What kind of movie did you make? Uh, you know, it's a coming-of-age film uh, about this kid, Chiron, growing up uh, in this neighborhood called Liberty City, which is like the Compton or South Central uh, of Miami. Um, but what we do is, instead of telling this coming-of-age story in, in the very typical form of like, you know, 80 beats in 100 minutes, you know, we kind of break it down into three chapters, these three vignettes from this guy's life, one when he's a child, one when he's a teenager, one when he's a young man. Um, instead of telling 80 beats in 100 minutes, we tell like maybe six beats, you know, with the most important beats, the most important events, you know, at each stage of this guy's life. And I think in doing it that way, we sort of put a magnifying glass, you know, on how the world is shaping uh, these young men from the community that I grew up in, which is the same as the playwright Terrell McCraney. Yeah, so it's based on a play by Terrell McCraney. Yeah, based on a play. You know, Terrell wrote this in 2003 mm -hmm. uh, when he was an undergrad at DePaul and he was applying to Yale School of Drama long before he was a MacArthur genius. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and I consider it um, like the starting point. You know, I don't think this was ever meant to be staged uh, in a theater. I also think it was a, a young playwright who wasn't sure where this should be staged. And so when it came to me, it felt like I'd been passed a baton, mm -hmm. and I kind of just continued it forth, you know, into the form that's ended up uh, as the feature film, Moonlight. Well, talking about personal, uh, mm -hmm. Miami's where you grew up. Yeah, where I was born and raised, and, you know, I never expected, you know, nothing I've done to this point uh, has been set in Miami. You know, I've only made one short film there. It was in two, uh, 2012, and it wasn't about my personal life growing up there. So when I read Terrell's piece, um, I saw so much of myself in it. And then, of course, the character played by Naomi Harris, this character Paula, who was our main character's mom, uh, is addicted to crack cocaine. And both my mom and Terrell's mom were both addicted to crack cocaine. I mean, Terrell and I grew up blocks from one another, so it's quite likely that his mom and my mom used drugs together, you know, at some point. And he had done such a good job of depicting what it's like to be a child of someone who's addicted to drugs uh, that, again, I just saw myself fully in the character. But that makes it harder to me. It, it, it has to. 
Yeah, it, it has it, to be painful. As great as Naomi Harris is playing mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. mother in this, you, you know, you know, it made the writing not easier, but just more fluid because I wasn't, I didn't have to make a lot up. You know, I had to shape things, mm-hmm. but I didn't have to make a lot up. I could draw from personal experience. Directing her was yes, it was difficult, it was painful, it was like because uh, you're saying that's not my mother. <laughs> But, oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. But, yes, it is. I mean, when someone's that gifted, that skilled, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and as a director, you know, separating parts of myself, I know I need to push this a bit further. It needs to advance. It needs to, you know, be heightened. Um, and Naomi was so skilled that she could go to these places. But every time I push her, this part of me is like, mm, don't, don't go that far. You know, this, <laughs> this is uncomfortable. But, but you know, uh, we went there. And I think, again, people are reacting to the film in this way because we all went there to that place well for people who haven't seen the movie yet and you have to go so you know there's no <laughs> excuses um it isn't really a story basically about this relationship between this boy and his mother mm-hmm. it's part of it it's part of it and yeah. her drug addiction is part of it mm-hmm. but it's also him dealing with his identity mm-hmm. his identity as we begin to see in his teenage years which is gay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now I'm sure everybody comes up to you and says, what was it like growing up gay in Miami? Mm-hmm. But you didn't, did And I say, I, I don't know. I know. <laughs> because because I I'm straight. No. Yeah. I'm a straight guy. Wow, mm-hmm. that's just... Uh, but you started with the material. Yeah. You know, like I said, you know, Terrell, uh, you know, sort of carried the baton to, like, the second, second leg exchange. And, um, you know, there's certain elements of the story that I couldn't have crafted myself, you know? I often believe that, you know, these kind of narratives need to be told from a first-person perspective. Um, and there are, this is one element of Chevron's identity that I can't identify with. Uh, but Terrell did such a good job of putting himself on the page uh, that for me, I felt like if I could wed my empathy uh, mm-hmm. while preserving Terrell's voice, I could take authorship uh, of the piece and as an active ally. Now, I, it's like, no, I didn't grow up that way. However, Terrell did, and his voice is riddled throughout this piece. Uh, and so I, can, um, I, I gave myself the leeway, you know, the, 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 and actually Terrell entrusted me to carry it forth. Which was really good, but you know, the thing that, one of the many things I admire about mm-hmm. it, is that it shouldn't work at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really, I mean, because you cast three different actors mm-hmm. to play him. Mm-hmm. The, the wrench from the second act, the teenage years, to him being grown yeah. is like, who is this guy? It's jarring. It's, yes, and it happens. Mm-hmm. And so with all of that, you're taking on yourself with your, se- your second feature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was this always in your head that you were going to do this? Uh, always. You know, right when, when I first sort of figured it out, because you know, when the piece came to me, it was very different in form and shape mm-hmm. uh, than what ended up being the film. And the breakthrough I had was both was one structural. You know, when I knew I wanted to sort of pull it apart, tell each story in turn. Uh, but then two, when I decided, okay, you know, one of the themes in this film is how the world is shaping these young men. And I was like, you know, we call them microaggressions, but I think they're actually aggressions. And so we're going to show how these aggressions can radically alter the shape of a character. And I felt like casting a whole different actor, a different person, will very literally show that the character has changed, you know? Um, and, and what we relied on was uh, this Walter Murch theory from, the, from In the Blink of an Eye yeah. about the eyes being the window uh, into the soul. And uh, our casting director, Yessi Ramirez, did a great job. Our cinematographer, James Laxon, did a great job oh. too. You know, we frame these guys mm-hmm. in, in, some, in very similar ways across three chapters. 
Um, and really, it was just about finding these three actors who had the same feeling in their eyes, who had the same soul, the same spirit. So you can look at Trevante Rose, who shows up in the third story, and it's just physically, just like, I mean, it's like he's literally put on a whole coat of armor, you know, like the suit of muscles in this, you know, in these platinum grills. Um, yeah, you look in his eyes, and you can still see Ashton Sanders. You can still see Alex Hibbert, the two you actors. You see that child. You see that child, mm-hmm. you know? Seeing that child mm-hmm. in the eyes mm-hmm. of this man. Mm-hmm. Um, is in, is what's incredibly moving. Yeah, you, we all put on armor in some way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he's putting on armor in amazing ways. He's, exactly, it's just, and he's called many things in the, the you know, not mm-hmm. just by one name. Yeah, he's called little. Mm-hmm. He's called black. He's called this. What of that was your direct experience of growing up? I have many, many nicknames. Uh, <laughs> I don't think any of them were were as pointed as the nicknames you know that that the world is projecting onto Shiro. Do you remember any? Yeah, you know, I mean. My nicknames were silly, though. I was called Old Man, you know, mm-hmm. because I was a very quiet, withdrawn kind of kid. Uh, I had ashy knees, so I was called Knees, you know, um, which is why, you know, one of my favorite moments in the film is when they're, they're picking on Chiron and they, they, they take his pants and they shake him because he's got the, the skinny jeans, yeah. you know. Uh, back at the time, the skinny jeans were not popular. But, but yeah, you know, I think what we're talking about is this element of bullying. And I can't say that I was ever literally bullied. Um, but but I but I know what it meant, what it felt like to be picked on. You know, I think Terrell was much more pointedly uh, bullied. And again, I wanted to preserve his voice and try to get that aspect of the film right. Well, he is. He's terribly bullied. But he has, and here is another. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. in a film of incredible performances, mm-hmm. uh, there's a character who's a drug dealer. Mahershala Ali plays with so brilliantly. Um, a drug dealer who's actually possibly selling drugs to the mother. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredible scene to hear him say, you sell drugs. Mm-hmm. And yet, he's mentoring him. Mm-hmm. Did you have any kind of mentor character like so, that? So I did not, but uh, Terrell did. It, so the whole yeah. piece began uh, with Terrell's recollection of his friendship, his mentorship uh, that he had uh, with this local drug dealer in our neighborhood. You know, this guy who kind of took him under his wings uh, and protected him. You know, it's why it's interesting. There's been this conversation about how the character played by Mahershala Ali, this character Juan, uh, is not a stereotype. And it's like, no, of course he's not. You know, he was an actual person, you know, who the playwright knew. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he's drawn from real people and real events, you know, and real emotions. I think when you're working from the inside out, it's kind of impossible to create a stereotype because you're actually creating a flesh and blood person. You know, the same thing with the character Paula. Um, so no, I didn't have that personal experience, but the whole piece uh, begins, you know, it's a foundational character, and it's why his presence is always felt, because I think his presence was the starting point, you know, for the whole piece. What we hear when mm-hmm. a movie comes from such a specific place, mm-hmm. that we're always told uh, as a compliment, I think, mm-hmm. but to me it doesn't really ring that way, of that it's really universal. We've all gone through this experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, to me, what I see in art, or in any way, uh, it comes out of something specific mm-hmm. and me seeing something I didn't see before. Yeah, How yeah. do you approach it? Do you approach it as uh, I'm dealing with universal themes here? No, 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 no. I mean, this film, I tried to make it for an audience of two. You know, myself uh, and the playwright, Terrell McCraney. You know, mm-hmm. I was just trying to have fidelity to, to my story and his story, my experience and his experience, and the experience of, you know, for him, Juan, you know, for me, Paula, uh, and Chiron. And as you said, just trying to drill down and get that right, mm-hmm. you know? Because I think if you, if you create something that's distinct and unique, you know, you'll get a genuine, a visceral reaction 
out of the person receiving it. You know, and what I've found is it's not that the movie and its specificity uh, re, re, uh, it's relatable to everyone. That's not what I found. What I found is because Terrell and I are two guys from a certain block in a certain neighborhood in a certain era, and our mom went through a certain ordeal. Somebody as far as like Boise, Idaho goes, my, my neighborhood's nothing like Miami, mm-hmm. and yet I went through this thing, you know, on this corner with with my Some uncle and my else. mom. You know, you you can you can drill it down to your feet. You know, it starts at our feet, and you can see mm-hmm. how that relates to your feet. You know, not everyone else's. You know, it becomes about the person receiving the work, and when they see the person who created it, really put themselves into it, 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 it gives them the freedom to sort of put themselves into it also. So that's been my experience. Well, that's a good way. In your experience, mm-hmm. is it difficult for you to keep watching this movie with an yes. audience? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Because I've, I've only done it, I've only done it in really? full once. I really? Did, I didn't watch it at Telluride. I, I sat through it uh, in Toronto. I sat through like 80% of it. I kept finding reasons to go to the bathroom. <laughs> um, you know, a part of it is, uh, because the movie is so personal, um, and the actors do such an amazing job. There are just certain things where I'm not watching a movie. You know, I'm watching elements of my life. You know, I'm watching elements of Terrell's life. Um, and most of those things, you know, we think of in our heads when we're alone. You know, you're on the subway, you have this memory. You see something that causes a flashback. You're not sharing that mm-hmm. with everyone around you. In a theater, everyone is sitting there watching your memory. All these strangers. Exactly, all these strangers. Now, and, and, and this beautiful thing happens, you know, at least it happened in the screening in Toronto, which was very emotional. I could feel people feeling the things that I was feeling. You know, it's almost like it was extremely vulnerable, which is what it should be. Uh, but as somebody who's seen this movie hundreds of times, mm-hmm. I've had enough. <laughs> With you and your crew. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. when you do, when, even now, mm-hmm. if, you see it again for mm-hmm. some other reason that's there. Is yeah. there a particular, is there one moment in this movie that mm-hmm. is the hardest for you to watch because it hits you so personally? Yeah, you know, the hardest moment for me, the, the, the split answer is uh, in the second story when Sharon uh, comes home and Paul is asking about the money, mm-hmm. you know, and, but that's difficult because Naomi does such a great job, you know. It's just, I think it would be a hard thing to watch, even if I wasn't related to the character, even if she wasn't playing my mom. Uh, The scene in the third story, um, the reconciliation between uh, Naomi and Travante, between Paula uh, and Sharon slash Black, uh, the rehab center, that seems the most difficult one for me to watch, because I think it's the one where I put the most of myself Mm -hmm. into... Uh, the characters, but this wonderful thing happened where Naomi and Travante then took that and took it a step farther, you know? And so th- they're enacting things that, that I maybe wish had happened, mm-hmm. you know, or things that I wish I remembered better or that I wish had gone better. Um, and so uh, that scene in particular is the most difficult to watch. Well, it's wrenching. Which, it's wrenching, yeah. but, but and, it's, and it's weird because it's not bombastic, but it's very, very true. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very raw. Have um, you, have, has your mother seen this movie? Uh, she is not, uh, you know, but, but, you know, but, uh, but didn't she have casting approval? Uh, no, she did not have casting approval, but that would have been tricky. Um, uh, be like, I need Julia Roberts to play me. Me. You know, it's like, (laughs) no, it's not going to work. Um, no, she hasn't seen it. Uh, my sister has seen it, um, who's, you know, like my best friend, um, and the highest compliment anybody could give on this film was she came out of theater. She was like, Naomi Harris crush that <laughs> you know this is a, you know it's my sister so she knows exactly who my mom is uh, my mom is working her way up uh to watching the film i will say she probably will watch this interview <laughs> because she's been watching uh all this stuff um but you know uh she has to come at it at her own pace you know it's, it's one thing for me to 
uh, create the story, you know, for Naomi to give life to the character. Um, but I think, you know, it's not upon me, you know, to force my mom to sit through it. You know, no, at none some of point, us can force our moms to do anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. uh, and, but I, th I think she's getting ready. She's getting close to sitting down to watch it. You know. Well, you're you're at this point now where everything is award season. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you're dealing with it. Maybe you're in denial about it. <laughs> Probably. Know, yeah. About something, but <laughs> it happens. Mm -hmm. How did you react last year about Oscar So White? How did you, as a uh, black man, say, yeah. what is this? You know, it was interesting. I, I did realize, because at the time I had a movie that was in post-production. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. You know, um, and, and then I looked around and I realized there were actually a lot of movies that were in either production or post-production uh, that were going to slip into the slipstream of the reaction to Oscar So White. And when you drill down into it, what you realize is these movies kind of aren't a reaction. You know, they're being framed. Mm -hmm. as a reaction or a response, but a movie began three and a half years ago. Yeah, you know, so. A movie like Fences began six, seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Queen of Cotway, you know, Jeff Nichols' Loving, I mean, there's just so many uh, of these films, and w what I think about it is, all these films arose from, you know, probably the same impulse, which was, here's a story that hasn't been told, or a voice that isn't being heard, mm -hmm. you know? The, uh, the, the making of these films is a response to the lack, you know, not the outcry, you know, or the incident uh, that, that push that into the public consciousness. I'm just glad that this year, you know, we have so many films, really strong films and very diverse films. And it's interesting, we talk about diversity as being, you know, now we have these films made by people of color or about people of color. But even within those films, the films themselves are very distinct. You know, Fences and Moonlight are nothing alike. You know, <laughs> you there's room for both of them. You know, same thing with Loving and Queen of Cotway. Um, so it just feels good to be at this place where we can talk about this, you know, mm -hmm. the response to Oscar So White. Um, but what we should be talking about is, oh my God, all these films are here, you know, and they're all just these very, very distinct, unique voices with this whole tapestry, you know, of human experience. Well, it's a good feeling and a good time. Now, you know? I'm, I'm, I'm you really, hope it doesn't go away. You, you, you know? hope that'll be the test. You, yeah. hope it doesn't, you hope that next year will be the same thing. And I will say, just as far as this year goes, you know, I'm really proud to be uh, to be a part of this. When you were growing up, what movies were the ones that hit you? You know, growing up, I didn't really watch uh, a lot of movies. You know, I remember watching Die Hard every Christmas. Uh, see, that's it. See, that people, film. Die Hard. Yeah, that is what you see. Hey, John McTiernan, amazing filmmaker. That's it. You okay. Know? I remember watching Die Hard, and then like every kid, I watched Toy Story probably a million times mm -hmm. when that came out. But uh, when I was in film school, uh, I fell into a lot of foreign films. I was really, really loved the French New Wave and the Asian New Wave. You know, Breathless by Godard was one of the first films I remember being struck by. Uh, Chunking Express by, by Wong Kar Wai, mm -hmm. um, and The Mood for Love also, so that kind of stuff. Die Hard meets film school, meets European cinema, yeah, exactly. and somehow <laughs> we get to see Moonlight. That's a really good thing that happens. Yeah, I want to make like the indie art house romance featuring John McClane stranded in Honolulu. I want to see that. <laughs> That's what you're going to do. I mean, I guess you feel that, that there's a universe. You, you, mm -hmm. I don't know how you follow a movie like Moonlight. Yeah. I don't know what you do with it except to say, I'm going to follow what my instincts are. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And just do it. We'll keep doing that. And it's been great to have you here. And you haven't been on the show before. No, I haven't. But gonna have some you're going to have some popcorn. Bro. It always ends in song, <laughs> in a little piece of a song. So get ready, Barry. There has to be something that was always in your head mm -hmm. in Miami growing up. Mm -hmm. What were you listening to? And what can you give us a little piece of? You know, I was listening to a lot of uh, soul music. Mm -hmm. My brother would go to the flea market. This is back when you, know, you didn't have CDs or mixtapes. And these guys would take vinyls and they would record them to cassette. And they would make these mixes mm -hmm. of all these old soul songs. And 
I think it's why in, the, in that third chapter when the character walks into that diner, it flips from orchestral score, flips from hip hop. Now it's all these oldie gold. We call them oldie goldies. Oldie goldies. All, all these soul songs, you know. And uh, this song by Barbara Lewis called Hello Stranger. Uh, it's very important in the film. It was very important in the script. Uh, and I just listened to it, and it reminds me both of my childhood uh, and my present. Can you, know? you give me a little piece of it? Uh, can I sing it? Yes. <laughs> you don't have can, to be. Nobody, <laughs> everybody on this show, they're not singers. <laughs> they just give me a little lyrics. touch of whatever. I can say the lyrics. It just goes, uh, it seems like a mighty long time. Uh, shibop, shibop, shibop. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everybody do it. Shibop. <laughs> You know, it's more more melodic than that. Yeah. Um, but I love uh, the line she says, uh, "Please don't leave me like you did before, because I still love you so." Although, although it seems like a mighty long time, it's just such a beautiful song. Very simple, and you know, it's from that era when people did multiple recordings of the same track, different mm -hmm. singers. But her version is just like, you can feel it. You know, just you can feel it right in there. Yeah. Well, that's just what Moonlight is. So, Barry, thank, thank you, you very so much, much for being here. Appreciate it. You can't have any more popcorn thank you for now the that popcorn. the show's over, though. That's just the way it is. <laughs> Who popped this? Okay, that wraps up another edition of the Popcorn with Peter Travers podcast. If you liked it, be sure to subscribe and rate us. You can also find Popcorn on Twitter and Facebook at Popcorn ABC News. I also want to thank the people who helped produce this podcast. Angela Williams, Brian Fudge, Josh Cohen, David Fazekas, David Miller, Michael Rothman, Alexa Valiente, and the head of ABC News Digital, Dan Silver. I'll talk to you next Friday.